0: Someone to be around you, someone to sit down and pour you shochu. But sometimes saying goodbye to familiar folks is the only way. Sometimes
1: that's when you finally find your space. Hello and welcome to the Japan Distilled podcast. I'm your host Christopher Pellegrini, recording in Tokyo, Japan, and on the other end of the line, and with me as always is Stephen Lyman in Fukuoka, Japan. We're both certified shochu and awamori professionals, published authors, and without question, the thing that hooked us the most about Japanese shochu was the clear sense of place associated with each style. We've been exploring the wonderful world of Japanese spirits for more than a combined three decades, and we're very excited to share them with you through this podcast. Stephen, how are you doing? Doing well, Christopher. You're absolutely right.
0: I enjoyed shochu as an avid consumer after I first discovered it in New York City. But it was really the discovery that the different styles were really produced in different regions of Japan that got me extremely curious. I had been a wine lover and got really into the different geographic regions in France and in Italy, learning about the red wines in those areas. And so to learn that there was a spirit that had a similar, I guess, terroir was
1: really interesting. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And not only different regions of Japan, but different regions of Kyushu Island, for instance. I mean, in that sense, it is very similar to wine. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you suggested that we do a series
0: on these regional styles, I kind of blinked. I was like, I thought we'd already done this. I thought we covered this in season one. But what I realized is we'd done episodes on each style, but not on each region. Some of those do overlap completely. I'd point listeners to episode three on Ryukyu Awamori, and episode 15 on Kokuto Shochu. Those really are episodes about very specific geographic
1: styles. Right. Now, we really should do another Awamori episode since that's the oldest spirits tradition in Japan and one of the four WTO-recognized GIs in Japan's indigenous spirits. But for this three-part series, we're going to focus on the other three GIs. And that is kumashoju, Ikishochu, and Satsuma satsumashoju. If you regularly tune into our weekly show day live stream, then you've heard us talk about these drinks many times over. But it is absolutely past time to do episodes on each one.
0: No question. But do you mind if we start by defining a WTOGI? I mean, that sounds like G-I. a car to me. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's a, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's like the old GTO. I guess it was was the old uh, muscle car, but. From the World Trade Organization's own website, now that's WTO, World Trade Organization, geographical indications, so that's the GI, are place names used to identify the origin and quality, reputation, or other characteristics of products. For example, champagne, tequila, or Roquefort. These are really products that are so linked to a place that they become inseparable. You can make sparkling wine almost anywhere. But you can't call it champagne unless it's made in Champagne, France. Same for brandy made in cognac. That's cognac. Everywhere else, it's brandy.
1: Yeah, this is kind of like an intellectual property rights for places, I guess. Kind of. It's, it's along the same lines. But yeah, your point about the place being so central to the inherent quality of those products is the key takeaway here. They are one in the same. Scotch whiskey, only made in Scotland, you make the same whiskey with the same mash bill in Germany, you can't call it Scotch whiskey. You have to call it just, I don't know what you would call it, actually, German whiskey, I guess. Yeah, malt whiskey. It could still be malt whiskey, right? Sure.
0: But it's interesting because it's this GI applies except for when it doesn't. If a style became so pervasive before the GI was applied for, the GI could be refused. And I think the best example of that is cheddar cheese. Cheddar is actually the name of a town in the UK, but cheddar cheese can be made anywhere because it was already ubiquitous by the time this whole GI system uh, was conceived by the WTF. Yeah. So cheddar's out, but lots of other things are in and there are many, many GIs. And another cool twist on it is actually the GI itself has to adhere to the GI. So if you're making something that qualifies as a GI, your product meets all of the, the standards, the criteria, you cannot call it something else. You cannot pretend it's not the GI. Huh. So it has to be designated as the GI so that you don't deceive consumers in the other direction. The, the entire thing here is, is consumer protection. And of course, it's also protectionism from, for these industries, right? Champagne. France doesn't want competition for sparkling wines made in other parts of the world calling themselves champagne. Likewise, Mexico doesn't want to compete with tequila made elsewhere, that sort of thing. So there's that protectionism side, but it also is a symbol of quality for consumers to know that what they're buying. It's really interesting that you can't actually misrepresent yourself. And if you're making something that
1: qualifies, you can't pretend it's not. Yeah, that is interesting. So that means for Uriyukiya Awamori, if you're doing a a single all koji rice koji fermentation with black koji and it's single pot distilled you have to call it if you're making it in okinawa you have to call it uryukyu awamori i didn't realize that
0: yeah yeah it's a little twist on it and i guess that's just to show look the, it's not completely protectionist right we, we, in in, in for, uh, for the industry it's also about consumer uh transparency so i like uh, it you listening is, in
1: california <laughs>
0: Yeah. Go back a couple episodes and you'll understand that reference. (laughs) Yeah. So where should we start with this? Well, I'd vote we start with kuma shochu. It's pretty clear that one of the earliest, if not the earliest shochu ever made was rice shochu. Um, I mean, sake brewing went back nearly 800 years before distillation arrived in Japan. So it's not a stretch at all to think that the very first time that shochu was made in Japan, somebody made sake fermentation and distilled it. So I think that's a good place to start.
1: Yeah. And of course, we have every reason to believe that other grains were used in early shochu production, perhaps as a supplement. Pretty much it was the, everything but the kitchen sink in many cases when you're making booze back then. But rice is really the primary grain that survives to this day. I mean, I, I don't really think that anybody eats millet anymore in Japan, do they? I mean, at this point, it's an animal feed in most parts of the world. And
0: in preparation for the episode, I did research this. I was wondering, is millet a thing here anymore? And the only millet for human consumption that I found in Japan is being imported as a health food from like hippies in America or something. Mm. And then the only recipes I could find that call for it in Japanese cooking are actually, they weren't focused on millet. They were rather seem to be using it as a thickening agent, like we'd use flour to thicken sauces in the West. Huh. No kidding.
1: Well, I know that millet was at one point used in awamori production or whatever preceded awamori, or at least we believe it was. Um, But anyways, kuma shochu. So rice shochu. Let's set the ground rules here. The rules for the kuma shochu GI. And in this case, Kuma is referring, it's the same kanji as the river, the Kuma River. It's not the same kanji that are used in Kumamoto Prefecture at the front of Kumamoto, um, the name of the prefecture where Kuma Shochu originates. The rules are rice and only rice, water sourced from the underground wells and springs beneath Kuma River and produced in the Hitoyoshi or the surrounding Kumagun area. So. Hitoyoshi City, Kumagun, which is kind of uh, up the hill a little bit. And it's a, it's basically, it's a basin. It's the Kumabonchi, which is surrounded by mountains on all sides with very fast running fresh water zipping through the center of it. And it's the type of place that tends to be pretty cool in the evenings, even in the summer. In that sense, not a great place to grow sweet potatoes necessarily. But the temperature fluctuations are ideal for making really beautiful lush rice that's right and
0: it it really is an agricultural basin you're in you're surrounded by mountains as christopher said so you're at elevation a little bit but down in the valley in this basin there are just uh fields everywhere it's a, it's and it's really about as far south you can go in japan and still produce high quality rice and it's really because of the the climate that is created by this elevated basin surrounded by mountains so as christopher said really hot uh during the day really cool in the evening those high temperature fluctuations actually uh do a world of good for for the the rice cultivation and the river itself as christopher said fast running water there are frequent floods this is a very very strong river uh often i guess for several years in a row was named the best river in japan or you know the best river water in japan that sort of thing and as we've talked about before japanese love their water uh it's it's a it's you know they name water sources and we don't really seem to do that too much right it, at least where i'm from in the u.s we didn't have like famous water sources maybe up in vermont you did
1: yeah <laughs> yeah and we also have uh craft cheddar cheese kraft with a k um so another <laughs> reason why that never became a gi yeah i i mean So this this tiny little area in the very southern reaches of Kumamoto Prefecture is just over the mountains, just through the tunnels from northern or northwestern, this is a little central, but northern Kagoshima Prefecture. And it's a really hidden place. I mean, really, you're either taking a train, weaving up this gorge, this river gorge to get there from the north or you're coming through through tunnels if you're, it's the south or the southeast. It's a really well-protected area. And it's about as far south as you can go in Kyushu and still get really high-quality rice cultivation. Um, there's At least there were 28 distilleries. We know that a couple summers ago um, in July, there was a massive flood. The Kuma River just jumped its banks and took out downtown in Hitoyoshi City. And it also took or nearly destroyed a few different distilleries. One of them, I believe, has not quite recovered yet. So initially 28 distilleries. Now I think there are 27 operating currently. And there's a ton of difference between them, uh, both in terms of the, the, the fermentation process, but also in terms of distillation. Some places are doing vacuum distillation and then other places are going more traditional and doing the regular atmospheric distillation, which creates very, very different products.
0: That's right, and I think what really got rice shochu jump started in Japan was the introduction of vacuum distillation. Definitely, the uh, Takahashi Shuzo is the largest rice shochu producer in the country, and they produce about half of rice shochu in Japan. So one one uh, company makes about half of all rice shochu produced here, and they are in in this region. They are a Kuma Shochu, their most uh, popular brand. Overseas and in Japan is called Hakutake Shiro, pretty iconic uh, packaging. We'll put it in the show notes so people can find it easily. And it is a light, beautiful, vacuum distilled, very fruity, floral aromas. Very easy drinking. Great with soda. Easy on the rocks. And most of what Takahashi makes is in that vein. They make a variety of different, pretty light, easy drinking styles, and they've captured of. A- Pretty huge chunk of the market share as a result.
1: Yeah, just huge. And uh, they do a lot of interesting stuff with Umeshu as well. They've got some RTD products as well here in Japan. Very creative company. And yeah, as big as they come in Hitoyoshi. And just across the rice paddies on a parallel street is Fukano. And they are a much, much smaller distillery who have been making rice shochu for quite a while. Fukano was run by uh, the matriarch of the family. And now she's, um, I think she's more kind of advising and she, I think she, I don't think she's in the office very much, but a very, very cool family-run distillery that makes absolutely luscious and very, very smooth drinking rice shochu.
0: Yeah, that distillery was such a revelation for me. It was one of the first uh, rice shochu distilleries I visited and you literally walk out the back of the distillery and you're in a rice paddy. It's that close to the area where where it's cultivated. I'd I'd never experienced something quite like that. And uh, they do a lot of interesting styles, I agree. I guess going back to Hitoyoshi City right downtown, pretty easy walking distance from the the main train station is uh, Sengetsu Distillery, which is probably medium-sized. They make a variety of rice shochu, their um, Sengetsu brand is available in the States and I believe in, in Europe. But the, of their main brands, the one that I really enjoy is Kawabe, which has uh, more almost banana aromas due to the yeast that they're using. Uh, if you refer to our recent yeast episode, you'll understand a little bit more about that. But Kawabe is a great drink. And then they do the barrel-aged shochu called Mugon, which is a 40% alcohol right. cask-aged rice shochu that's also quite nice, very whiskey-esque
1: in a way. And that's, that's a crowd pleaser uh, when, when you can find it for sure. You talked before about walking out of the distillery and then walking into a rice paddy. That reminds me of a Toyonaga, which is up the hill. Pretty much. They're one of the furthest out there, aren't they? I believe they are the furthest up the river. Up the hill. Yeah. They very well could be. And just a family-run distillery that really depends on the surrounding flora. There are rice paddies everywhere, um, the only interruption really is a tree line here, a stream there, one of the tributaries to the to kumagawa kuma River. and one thing I really love about these places that are surrounded by rice paddies is I love being there in the morning when the when the you know you have the morning dew on everything and the the mist is kind of lifting. It's such a picturesque part of the country. And as far as I'm concerned, one of the more beautiful sights to behold in the whole shochu and maybe even awamori industry. Absolutely. The
0: Toyonaga was another place that I visited early on, I believe the same trip that I first visited Fukano. I had I was actually a guest of the Kuma Shochu Makers Association, and I was basically toured around with with a gentleman from the association who showed me a bunch of places, and Toyonaga I had specifically requested to visit because their main brand, the vacuum distilled Toyonaga shochu was available in, in New York at the time. So good. Uh, still is. It's very, very good. But when I went, they were actually making sweet potato shochu. Oh, get out. Which they do occasionally. Yeah. They had, they they were actually using purple sweet potatoes. And so the fermentations were this bright, almost neon purple. Oh. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Uh, I've since been back and seen them make rice shochu as well. Uh, Very traditional production methods that they use there. And for a long time, I called it my favorite brand. And maybe it still is. If When I can find it is Jigaden, which is a handmade rice shochu, but they grow their own rice. The fields surrounding the distillery are owned by the distillery and the neighbors, the distillery staff... Everyone comes out, they plant the rice, they harvest the rice, and they do it all essentially as one big family. Mm. And Jiga Den is the brand that's made from organic rice grown by the distillery and surrounding neighbors. And it's atmospheric distilled, super traditional, really just and I think I think it's moroka. So it's essentially unfiltered. I mean, they take out <laughs> the solids basically, but it's a super lush, delicious, delicious shochu.
1: It is really good. They also do a a barley shochu or two there, and they're quite good at it as well. They 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 don't mess around. Another distillery back down in the center of town that is known both for their rice shochu and their barley shochu is Jufuku. And that's a distillery that of course is very close to Stephen in my heart's uh Kino Kino the matriarch of that family, is still very much involved and her son and um are, and daughter are, are running the show. And I I was there just recently and got a tour. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes folks don't like to have visitors in the in the Koji Moodle. You know, um, and there are certain I it's almost a distillery by distillery thing. Some places are like, no freaking way you're going in that room. Like nobody. Doesn't matter. You could be Santa Claus, you're not going in the Koji Moodle. But other places are they're just like, yeah, whatever, you know, every, everybody brings something with them and, and there's nothing we can do about that. And uh, one thing about Jufku is that they, they do tend to let anybody kind of just wander around, <laughs> which is kind of cool. They make very, very uh, meaningful, purposeful rice shochu, especially uh, Musa you know a favorite of both of ours. And if you can get your hands on it, folks, definitely seek that one out. Atmospheric distilled, just lovely, lovely drink.
0: Yeah, that is probably the smallest distillery in, in, uh, the region, at least by production volume. And you really, when you walk into the distillery itself, you feel like you're walking into their living room. It kind of is their living room. There's not really a shop. There's a couple bottles on a shelf. There's a little, little, uh, some charcoal on a, on a table, you know, keeping things warm in the, in the cooler months and, and. Yeah, it's it's wild. Then you just basically walk through that room and you're back into the storage tanks and beyond that's the distillery itself. And there's no doors. You're just walking through and it's a it's a it's a great, great little place. Um, and actually, I you you reminded me that they were actually written up in the Wall Street Journal years ago. Yeah, they have that framed. Yeah, and it was actually a contrast of Jufuku and Torikai. Oh, that's, and that's right. Torikai is the polar opposite of Jufuku. Jufuku really wouldn't be out of place in like the Meiji era or the Taisho era, just some little small-town distillery that's just making booze for their friends, you know? Mm-hmm. And then Torikai is this state-of-the-art, no expenses spared, gorgeous distillery up on a mountainside that is basically making ginjo sake in like a 40 or 45 day fermentation using yellow koji and highly temperature controlled environment, very, very carefully done to to very exact specifications and then distilled. And it's just such a contrast between that resolutely traditional jufuku style and then this the Torikai, it's I would I wouldn't even call it like super modern. It's just it's just super calculated and super careful. Right? They're not throwing open the windows and they're not, you know, that you can't go in their koji room. There's no way anybody that doesn't actually make the koji for Torikai can get into that part of the discussion. Oh
1: yeah, no way. I went on a um, Jetro sponsored tour that brought a bunch of journalists in, in from from the States and the top dog at Torikai was holding court and, you know, talking about shochu and philosophy and all of these things. And when we got back to the hotel, one journalist named Jason Horn was a great guy. Jason Horn says that guy's basically the Steve Jobs of the shochu industry, isn't he? I was (laughs) was like, that's, that's pretty good. (laughs) Um, That I, I'm not going to disabuse you of that notion. No. So uh, that was, that was really interesting. Yeah. Not too far off. I mean, it, he really is extremely particular.
0: He developed the brand with uh, a university professor in the 1980s, I believe. 1985 for some reason sticks out in my head. They have not released another brand since then because he has not yet made something else that he believes he wants to put his name on. Right. This is a family with a 900-year history that they can document. This is very, very old money, very, very traditional Japanese family, and so if if they're going to put their name on it. It better be incredible. So pretty, yeah, pretty interesting fair. place for sure. Any place else uh, you can think of on the...
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of other ones. I tend to gravitate to, towards the atmospheric distilled product. Um, tends to have more dairy notes. Tends to play a lot better with hot water. And you get a little bit of the sweetness, not as much of the tropicality that you'll get from a vacuum distilled rice shochu. The stuff that I like the most, I think, is anything that's made with really, really hyper-local ingredients. And not all of it is. It is not a requirement to use rice from Hitoyoshi Basin. It doesn't have to be local rice. Mm-hmm. Um, almost all of the rice shochu made in Hitoyoshi, almost all of, I think, I don't know if I've ever seen a kuma jochu that's not made with Japanese rice, but I could be wrong. There probably are some some really uh, budget-friendly Perhaps packaged in cardboard, like like almost those cardboard milk carton type things, that may be uh, blended together with distillate made from longer grained rice. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't be totally surprised if I saw that. But the the brands that really make an effort to use something local, you can you can just tell. Um, honestly, you're gonna you're gonna have especially where vacuum distilled product is concerned. You're gonna have these much more ginjo esque aromatics going on and then if it's a atmospheric distilled product you might get a little bit of anise you get a little bit of that black licorice thing going on deep underneath the the dairy notes and the nutty notes and the grainy notes and i just find that to be fascinating i especially love hot water drinks so uh hot water blends Oyuati, so that those are my jam really the local cuisine you you can't beat it when you're drinking rice shochu so um uh, yeah, one of my happy places, honestly that that little nook up there in the mountains. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of of
0: Hitoyoshi. I can't wait to get back. I haven't been since the the big flood a couple of years ago, and I'm I'm uh, hoping everybody's been able to recover. I used to stay in about a hundred year old ryokan whenever I went called the Hitoyoshi Ryokan, and they had flooding up to the second floor. So uh, yeah, hopefully they're able to reopen. As far as local cuisine, I mean. Really, like Kumamoto one of their I guess quote unquote soul foods would be the Karashi Renkon, yeah, which is basically a, a lotus root that's been stuffed with mustard, then cooked, and it's pretty delicious uh, with with a lot of the shochu. and uh, the Ayu, the river fish, is a is a common common specialty from the region Mm -hmm. and these these dishes really do the local food really goes very very well with the local shochu i mean they've they've grown up together right especially when you're in hitoyoshi you go to a local izakaya you're drinking the local the local shochu and it's just it's it's a match match made in heaven the other thing i really like about the area is that they have a very unique style of drinking the shochu when they uh we've talked i know in the past, about like the Kurojoka, there are these different heating vessels for warming your shochu, whether it's Maiwari shochu or that sort of thing. In our Hot Shochu Service episode, we talked about this. In the Kuma region, the Kuma River Basin, they have these really long-necked, white porcelain ceramic vessels that you heat the shochu directly over an open heating source, like an open flame. Uh, and some of them are actually designed where the the art on the... Exterior of the vessel changes colors, so when you know it's gotten hot enough to to serve, which is always a a fun little almost party trick. Yeah, that's that is definitely very useful. Yeah, and then, but the the service style that I love is called kanmoku, and this is where you heat the shochu like that, and you pour it over a big ball of ice, and you've got all of the beautiful aroma that comes through with warming shochu then it's chilled. And I just, I really like that experience because I've, as we've talked about before, I'm, I enjoy Oyuwari. I can't drink it all the time. I just get too warm. So I like giving, getting the aromas I get from Oyuwari while being able to drink a chilled beverage. It's a, it's a fun, fun way to drink it. Yeah, it certainly is. As you mentioned a little bit earlier, getting to hitoyoshi can be a challenge. It's, it's a uh, way up in the mountains in this kind of hidden Valley. And there's actually a, a steam locomotive that goes seasonally, which is a really cool way to travel there. If you get the chance to go, you can go by, by steam engine, which is pretty old school. And I actually, I've, I've biked there. I, I rode my bike from Yatsushiro Station all the way up the river to Hitoyoshi. And that was a beautiful ride. Like If you find the right time of year when the weather's great, um, it's, a, it's a really nice uh, path to take. But as I mentioned, just one of my favorite places to visit. And again, with the, the recent flooding, I hope, I hope everything can get back to normal soon.
1: Yeah, last time I was there, there were a bunch of missing buildings, that's for sure. They've gotten everything pretty much cleaned up down in the you know, downtown area, this, right along either side of the, the river. And interestingly enough, the river isn't flowing particularly fast downtown, in that downtown area. But up, up further, you know, upriver, it's uh, it's a torrent, and you know, several of the distilleries we mentioned today were directly impacted. I know that Jufku was underwater, Sengetsu was underwater. It really, really did a number on the entire area. So yeah, when you're in Japan, or even if you're not in Japan and you see a bottle of kumajochu and has a beautiful little emblem, the kumajochu emblem is. Ku, something in the shape of Ku, which is kind of like the left half of a diamond, that shape, just the those two sides. And it represents the river. And then it's also, it incorporates something that looks sort of like a, a rice grain. And if you see that on the the back or the front label of a bottle of rice shochu, then you know you you got the real deal in your hands. And I think it's probably worth taking it home for a spin. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll put that uh, graphic in the show notes so people can
0: spot it on bottles when they're out hunting for new shochu.
1: Cool. I'm glad we could do this, Christopher. This was a a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Long time coming. Thanks. All right. So you drinking anything? Yeah. You know,
0: I really, really love long-aged rice distillate. As I've made clear many, many times, kusu awamori long-aged ceramic pot-aged awamori is my jam. I absolutely love this stuff. And Sengetsu Distillery uh, released a brand called Shiro Itsuki. It might be Shira Itsuki or Shiro Itsuki. It was aged for 30 years, primarily in ceramic, uh, before bottling. It's at 35% alcohol. It comes in a white bottle and it is just so lush and rich and i love this kanoku yeah it's gorgeous gorgeous uh shochu but i i can only like have a glass at a time because this bottle was expensive as you can imagine and i don't want to have to go buy another one next time in hitoyoshi
1: how about you bougie um i'm <laughs> already already mentioned it but i uh am drinking musha and as as is my want i'm drinking it oyuari and it's just it's lovely that one also is is very good Kanloku, commonly uh, poured that way in both kumamoto and karoshima uh, if you can find it uh, obviously but uh yeah a little little shout out to the lovely people at jufku shuzo and also at sengetsu so good choice yeah i uh,
0: love mushigaishi that's a really really fantastic show i would say uh, when it comes to rice shochu from Kumamoto, that's what I drink most often. But I thought I'd drink something special for, for this episode. Not that Mushigashi's is not special, but uh, I don't often break out the Shiroitsuki. So, anyway, cool. Yeah. Kanpai. Kanpai. Thank you all very much for listening. Just wanted to remind everyone of our new Patreon page where you can support the show. We've already put up a bonus episode combining the three days in the life of a shochu distillery episodes into a single episode, so you can listen all at once. And that's only the beginning of what we're going to be offering to our patrons. We have much, much more planned, and our patrons will be the first to know. So please visit patreon.com slash Japan Distilled for more information.
1: Also, if you haven't already, then please consider rating and reviewing the Japan Distilled podcast wherever you consume your podcast content. It really helps others to find the show. And it also makes us feel good because we know that we're actually reaching people. And of course, don't hesitate to reach out to us directly. We love the conversation. We love to engage in dialogue and we love to help. So you can find me on Twitter or Instagram. Go with Chris Pellegrini on Twitter and at Christopher Pellegrini on Instagram.
0: And for me, you can reach me at Japan Distilled on both Twitter and Instagram. I run those accounts, so that's the easiest way to reach me. Also, check out our website, JapanDistilled.com, for the show notes on this and every episode. And finally, please consider tuning in to our Japan Distilled show Tuesday every Tuesday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Wednesday here in Japan. Kanpai! Kanpai!